Hello and welcome to the Proverbs 1810 podcast. This is episode 62 and it's sponsored by hmm, Yorkshire Tea. You can't beat a great cup of tea. Um, Yorkshire Tea made by Taylors of Harrogate. Could be a distant relative, you never know. Um, they don't know that uh, they're sponsoring this show. In fact, they would probably be quite cross if they saw that uh, I mentioned their products on this podcast. I don't know. Anyway, it's good tea. I enjoy it a lot. You can buy it in the United States. There are many grocery stores sell it. Uh, my local branch of Yokes sells it. But uh, they don't provide any real money. If you want to know where uh, you can help get some real money to me for these podcasts, remembering that free speech is not free, then just watch this message. Hello there, I'm Paul Taylor, and I'm very privileged that you take the time to watch these uh, podcasts of mine or to listen to them, I mean Proverbs 1810 podcasts. Um, I love that verse of scripture that I based the name of the podcast on, Proverbs 18 verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they're safe. It gives me an opportunity to talk to you and to try and uh, talk about world issues and exegetical issues, and always taking a conservative, biblical, Christian world worldview point of view. So, thank you for taking the time. Please remember, though, that uh, the free speech that we enjoy isn't actually free. And these podcasts need support. And therefore, there are three ways that you can support me. You can support me at Subscribestar, or at Locals, or at Substack. So it's Subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor. Or it's PaulFTaylor.Locals.com or PaulFTaylor.Substack.com. And of course, you can find all these links and all the previous episodes of the podcast at proverbs1810.org. Thank you for listening. And if you are subscribing, God bless you. Thank you for doing so. Please join our list of subscribers so that I can continue to produce these podcasts for you. And if you're saying that you know truth, if you're saying that you know what is truth, then you've got to have something to actually measure that against. Proverbs 1810 Podcast. 25 feet, a thousand layers. How many millions of years did that take to form them? The answer is it took three hours. Proverbs 1810 Podcast. This is the Proverbs 1810 Podcast, presented by me, Paul Taylor, in association with Proverbs 1810 Media. For all information about the podcast, including where to find the RSS feeds to put into your favorite podcasting software, please visit proverbs1810.org. Enjoy the show. turning the fight against climate change into a fantastic 
source of new green jobs and growth. By using public-private partnerships, you're helping us to create whole new green industries in areas like offshore wind, hydrogen, and carbon capture and storage. And we're not just that doing that here together in the UK. We're enabling developing countries to build the green infrastructure that can fast-track their own way to clean, green growth. Could there be a more inspiring example of business and finance as a force for good? Hello and welcome again to the Proverbs 1810 podcast, episode 62. Uh, my name is Paul Taylor and uh, I'm very glad to be with you. Uh, this is the podcast where we try and cover issues to do with uh, politics, to do with world affairs, to do with exegesis, and we try and look at everything from a biblical worldview. The clip that I've just played for you was the UK's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak speaking at a special reception held at Buckingham Palace by King Charles III. Uh, as a, a sort of prelude to the COP27 conference, which is uh, taking place in Egypt um, this week. And uh, it's interesting the sort of things he said there. He's talking about green new jobs. Where are those green new jobs? Um, the, um, the so-called greening of energy supply will cause, uh, will create less jobs and will put people out of work. And he goes on to talk about developing countries and enabling them to get the green infrastructure. This is very lazy nonsense. There are many developing countries which have very substantial, undeveloped um, uh, fossil fuel reserves. And of course, the prevailing idea is that you leave the fossil fuels in the ground. That is not a biblical idea. God has put resources in place so that we can uh, exploit them uh, within, within a proper biblical stewardship. And I think of many um, developing countries, I've talked on this podcast before about Botswana, for example, massive coal reserves, and they simply want the right to be able to develop those coal reserves. Uh, they're not going to develop them in the same way as they were in Victorian Britain. Um, the sort of technology that they would purchase that would be able to burn that coal would be clean. It would not be belching out smoke. It would be um, uh, burning it in a clean way and be, uh, being able to prevent smoke happening, being able to prevent carbon monoxide uh, getting out. But we've already talked about the fact that carbon dioxide is not a pollutant and is actually good for the environment as the earth is actually quite low on carbon dioxide and is at historic low uh, concentrations of carbon dioxide. And these are the sort of things that you don't hear. What you also don't hear is that the so-called green infrastructure, if you're going to try and rely on solar and wind power, requires batteries, which require the exploitation of very rare minerals, difficult to get at, lithium and cobalt and so on, which requires very large holes in the ground being produced, usually in developing countries, so that they won't affect um, rich white economies in the West. And uh, you're getting a form of um, so-called green colonialism, which is really what you're getting, uh, where uh, young people are uh, being forced to work in these open mines and whether they're causing disease and death 
it would be far safer to open coal mines in developing countries and to exploit that fossil fuel uh, that is there because God has made sure that it's there and uh, therefore good stewardship would suggest that we start to use those rather than causing death and disease for young people so that we can have what we think is a clean uh, automobile with a very large heavy battery in it using uh, electricity to power it. So Sunak is speaking the usual nonsense and uh, he's backed by uh, a new king who has a history of speaking such nonsense about, uh, about green issues. Um, and uh, that is not the biblical way. The biblical way is to use the resources that God has given us for his glory, to use them as well as we can to uh, make sure that we're not polluting uh, the world with it. Uh, but I would argue that um, the pollution from good, careful, modern coal technology would be considerably less than the pollution uh, caused by wind and solar, you know, we've, we've talked about that, you know, where do you put the blades from the wind turbines when they're used up? Uh, what about all the uh, birds, um, the raptor birds, for example, that are killed by uh, wind farms? Uh, what about the areas of land given over to um, solar panels? Um, these things are simply not talked about and it is pretended that such things can uh, mitigate against pollution, which of course they can't, especially as because they are intermittent, you've got to have battery backup and you've actually got to have generating backup and that generating backup for solar and uh, wind power is usually going to be natural gas burning electrical generators. And there you've got a problem in Europe because uh, people like Sunak are constantly talking about um, the reliance of the West on Russian fuel. Well, where else are you going to get that? You're causing extra problems uh, because you need that fast um, reacting backup, which can really only be provided by natural gas powered um, turbines for the times when the wind power or the solar power is not strong enough. Well, as you will recall, we have been spending a bit of time uh, in these podcasts looking at what the Bible actually says about the gifts of the Spirit. And it's important that we do so. Um, I'm from the Reformed tradition. Back in the United Kingdom, there is absolutely no problem whatsoever, no dichotomy whatsoever between being Reformed and being um, uh, believing that the gifts of the Spirit continue until the Lord's return, because after all, both things are found in Scripture. For some reason, here in the United States, they seem to have built up a, a, a barrier to that. What's interesting there is, though, that it is not just Reformed people who often believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. You get uh, the King James-only people usually believing the same, and um, they would be tend to be very much anti-Calvinist, anti-Reformed in the way that they, uh, they view things. So, what the reason for me just mentioning that is that it is not inevitable, therefore, that a Reformed position on the Bible is in opposition to the gifts of the Spirit. But some people have assumed it is. Um, it, some of that is uh, down to Calvin, 
Um, Calvin seemed to believe that the gifts of the Spirit had ceased, but actually when you read the Institutes carefully, you'll see that he was saying that the gifts are no longer present and you know in, in what he in the churches that he's looking at. Why? Because you know he's he's in a situation where the majority of churches around are Catholic churches and he's sort of resisting that and coming out of that. And his argument uh, for saying that the gifts are no longer present in the church is that the church is not worthy of them. He's not saying, therefore, that the uh, gifts have ceased because the canon of Scripture is closed. And, of course, he does say that the canon of Scripture is closed what, uh, because that's an important point in opposition to Catholicism. But what he is... Um, uh, maintaining is that uh, he doesn't see the gifts of the Spirit around because uh, the church is not worthy. And who's to say that that was not the uh, the case? In short, you can't basically use Calvin and what he was saying as an argument in favour of cessationism. But there have been a group of Reformed people re uh, recently who have been trying to put together a, a movie called Cessationist, and that's led to a conference um, uh, being held here in, in Sandpoint, where, uh, where I live, um, called the Cessationist Conference. And uh, as I will show in subsequent episodes, the um, whole premise of uh, cessationism is actually a doctrine born out of experience uh, rather than out of scripture. It's an eisegesis, not an exegesis. And I've made this point many times before, and you can have a look at my old blog that I don't uh, I don't publish anything on anymore, but it's still there on the internet at paulftaylor.org. Go and have a look at that, and you'll find the article there on the subject of cessationism and how it's a, a doctrine derived uh, from experience rather than from actual exegesis of scripture. Well, last time, in the last episode, we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and um, we'll continue that into um, uh, the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And to begin with, the first part of this passage would seem to be actually fairly non-controversial. Let's just have a look at what's being said here. And uh, we'll read this through. Uh, it says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there were many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it. 
Um, just lost where I was then. For some reason, it's just flipped over two chapters. Let me get back to First Corinthians chapter 12. I don't know why it sort of zipped on to uh, uh, chapter 14 there. Um, what was I just saying? Where was I up to? Um, we've been talking about the body and um, yeah, we just said, uh, God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured and all rejoice together, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's just stop there a minute there. Um, cessationists are happy with that. We talk about the different giftings that different people have, and we're all members of the, of the same body. We're all there to help each other, to uh, edify each other. We're all there for. Um, um, we're all there to uh, um, to help uh, the rest of the body uh, as part of the as part of the church, uh, the body of Christ. Uh, it's not actually saying the church, it's saying the body, so it basically means uh, all believers. We're um, not a particular individual fellowship, but all believers. Now, by the way, we should note, though, here that um, he has, he's only just talking about the gifts. He's been talking about the gifts. He's listed those, and in a short while, immediately after what I've just read, at the end of this chapter, we go back to talking about the gifts. Therefore, this whole section must also be talking about the gifts. It's talking about the different giftings, some supposedly naturalistic, some supposedly supernatural, but different giftings that different people should have and should be therefore prepared to help each other and to minister to each other with those. And we're being reminded that there's uh, one spirit. Now, it's important to remember, and a lot of people quite rightly emphasize, that the spirit is not a force, not a thing. The spirit is a person. We talk about he, what he does. But it's also undeniable that uh, the spirit does have attributes that often you would give to something uh, um, that is inanimate. And we see that in a number of places. Now, please don't think I'm going to heresy. I am definitely not. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we can go through the scriptures to prove that. But I'm going to assume that you're part of a Trinitarian church, as I am, and that you're going to believe that uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the three persons of the Trinity, one, um, one being, one God. Yet it does say here that we're made to drink of one spirit. So we drink the spirit because the spirit is often uh, an analogue of um, uh, water. Water is one possible analogue, uh, one possible uh, uh, type of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it doesn't mean, therefore, the spirit, that the spirit is inanimate. We can find many other places to show that the spirit is a person. But we still drink of him, just as... Um, Jesus talked about us being baptized into the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is the medium into which we are baptized. And uh, so immediately you see that this particular passage is not as uncontroversial as you might think, but is hammering home the point that these gifts are from the Spirit. And of course, we all are given different gifts, and we shouldn't be envious because someone else has a different gift. Um, uh, we are all uh, able to use our gifts for God, and it's God who's arranged the members in the body. God is sovereign, okay? So uh, that's why um, they, 
I can't say to them, I have no need of you, okay? Um, because God has sovereignly decided uh, which part of the body, if you like, we are to be. I remember one uh, uh, Christian humorist saying that if we're at different parts of the body, then he must be the armpit. Um, it is true, of course, that there are some parts of the body that seem to be less pre presentable, but we do take special care of those. Um, so we, we talk about being corporate and we talk about being individual. And the Apostle Paul explains that you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we're all individuals, but we're all corporately part of the body of Christ. So as I said, this is not um, uncontroversial and it's certainly not unrelated to the topic of the gifts of the Spirit. So let's continue to that um, last part of the chapter. Here we go. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Okay, so God has appointed these. Now, I would go off on a bunny trail if I tried to define exactly what's meant by apostles here, but you see that they are differentiated from prophets. We know that the New Testament was written by apostles. That doesn't mean to say that all apostles wrote parts of the New Testament. Um, I think the term apostle is a bit wider than you might think. Um, the principal apostles that we tend to think about are the people who... Um, were assigned to their post by Jesus, um, the, the, the risen Lord Jesus. <clears throat> that was the basis, for example, on which Matthias was chosen as the 12th apostle uh, to replace Judas. But there are other people in the New Testament referred to as apostles, people like um, Barnabas and uh, um, Silas and uh, Timothy and... Um, Actually, if you look it up, you'll find Epaphroditus is also described as an apostle. You have to actually look at the Greek word to see that because they don't actually translate the word apostle as uh, apostle into English in that particular bit where it talks about Epaphroditus. But let me not go down that bunny trail at the moment, please. If you'll just excuse me and allow me to go on. It does say definitely here that there are people who are prophets and there are people who are teachers. And you might think, well, we know that there are people who are teachers. You might say, well, we've not got any apostles or people who are writing scripture anymore. So where's the line drawn? Where's the line drawn? Um, you know, so that we've got, after this, we've got uh, things that exist. So what about miracles? Well, I believe that there are miracles. I believe, uh, as the phrase goes, the age of miracles has not ceased because uh, the Lord has not yet returned. But there are gifts of healing helping administrating various kinds of tongues. And what you'll notice there is that the supposed naturalistic gifts are mixed up with the supposed supernatural gifts. And uh, why not? Um, because they all, they're, they're all part of the same body. So, you know, the gift of helping is perhaps one that's not particularly glamorous, but it is such an important job. And the gift of administrating, what about that? Um, 
now you know we might need to go into exactly what that means because it's probably to do with uh, uh, a sort of diaconate uh, service uh, since that's where the word administration comes from but uh, let's leave that on one side for now that is something that perhaps we should look at because that is an important issue by the way we should comment that um, there are plenty of things that charismatics who believe that the gifts still exist need to be aware of because people are not getting things right. So it's no wonder that there are people who want to correct us and say, you know, um, there is misuse of gifts, uh, even gifts that are counterfeit. Because, by the way, you'll notice that there is no gift of falling backwards. There is no gift there of um, barking like a dog. There is no gift of laughing uncontrollably in the Holy Spirit. None of those things are listed as uh, gifts of the Spirit because they're not. They owe th much to the occult, not to uh, the uh, ministration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I said to a friend of mine who's a cessationist um, not so long ago that if the movie and if the conference were concentrating on the times when the gifts or supposed gifts are misused and pointing out the counterfeits and the problems they would have my support i would want to see those things where where there are problems in the this, uh, the use of gifts that are not gifts and the misuse of of, of gifts uh, of the spirit which are not coming from the spirit or uh, but coming from a spirit small s who is not the holy spirit there are all sorts of problems there, and we should be tackling them. And maybe if I can take time out on another episode, we'll do that. But at the moment, I just need to hammer home this point that the gifts of the Spirit still exist. Let's uh, go on in this particular passage. Uh, here, by the way, is a correction to many charismatics. It says, are all apostles? This is a rhetorical question, and you can see by the way he's phrasing it, that the answer is no. Most of the people to whom Paul is writing in Corinth are not apostles. And I think I think it's quite likely actually that everyone he's writing to is not an apostle. Are all prophets? Well, certainly it seems to me that Paul is writing to some people who will be prophets because he's giving uh, them... Um, advice on how they should use that gift and we'll look at that in more detail when we get to chapter 14. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul, the implication of this word is no, not all people are prophets. Not all people will have that gift of prophecy, just like not all people are teachers and you can see that not all people are gifted to be uh, preaching sermons. Not all people work miracles. Of course, the cessationists would say nobody's doing that today, which is a denial, actually, of the sovereignty of God. I hope you realize that. If you're saying that uh, when the Apostle Paul is talking about people working miracles, that they can't happen today, it's a denial of the sovereignty of God. Do all possess gifts of healing? Clearly not. Clearly not. Now, that's an interesting one because the cessationists will throw it as well. If you've got the gift of healing, why are you not going into the hospitals and making sure that nobody's in there? Mainly because God doesn't tend to choose to heal supernaturally very often. 
It doesn't seem to be the thing that happens very often. Even when Jesus was on earth, not everyone was healed. We know that. We know that not everyone was healed. We know that not everyone was healed by the apostles. There are many people who've tried to say that, that means that the gifts were dying out in the New Testament. There's no evidence of a dying out of anything as the canon reaches uh, conclusion. There's no evidence of that at all. In fact, the closure of the canon of Scripture would seem to me to be a hard point, not something that is uh, gradually moved towards, um, that you sort of got a half um, completion of the canon. I don't think it works like that. Um, so in the same way, we can't say that the gift of healing is getting less good because you're getting towards the closure of the canon of Scripture. It doesn't work like that. But it is the case that not all possess gifts of healing, and not all people are healed. The majority are not healed by supernatural means. It's quite clear that that's the case, and always has been. So the idea that everyone can be healed is nonsense. That is a criticism both of many modern charismatic people, and it's also a criticism of cessationists. Neither side there has got it right. And the biblical position is that there is the case where there is going to be supernatural healing, but it is rare. Do all speak with tongues? Now, this is very important because, of course, many of the Pentecostal denominations have in their statement of faith the idea that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by speaking in tongues. Therefore, you cannot have been baptized in the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. And when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. Those things are incorrect, and this rhetorical question proves that. Do all speak in tongues? No. And we'll go into what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is on another occasion. But I would urge you, if you want to find out what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, in advance of that, start reading what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said on the subject. Uh, most people seem to honour Martin Lloyd-Jones as one of the most important Reformed Calvinist preachers of the 20th century. And uh, many of those people who do so don't actually realise that he spoke about um, charismatic issues in particular. He taught on the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, rather, as he called it. So read what he had to say on that particular subject, or find the sermons that he preached on it, which you can find on the Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust website, and you can listen to them for free. So get those. Do all interpret? Well, again, that's clearly the, um, the rhetorical answer is no. So not only do not all speak in tongues, but not all people interpret those, t uh, those tongues. But uh, then the Apostle Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Well, perhaps uh, deciding what gifts are higher than others is something that we should start teaching to charismatics too. So I'll pass on that just for the moment, simply because I do think it is an area that charismatics are weak on. And we need to uh, we need some more teaching on that, and I'll acknowledge that, and therefore pass on it and come back to it uh, later another time. I will show you a still more excellent way, says the Apostle Paul, and that's leading into chapter thirteen. Chapter thirteen is the more excellent way, not a way that uh, replaces uh, the gifts of the Spirit, but a framework within which the gifts of the Spirit should be used. And that, of course, is what we are going to go on to next time.
what we've seen in this particular section of teaching on the gifts of the Spirit is that different gifts are given to different people, that we are individuals and part of the one body. Uh, Christians don't believe in a sort of communism where there's no individuality, nor do they believe in an ultra-capitalism where everyone is completely individual without any responsibility to anyone else, which actually would not be true capitalism, by the way, but you get the point I'm making. Uh, Christians believe that we are individuals with different giftings, all designed for the edification of the whole church, to build each other up and grow towards the Lord. And therefore, uh, those gifts are available, but nobody can say that their gift is the one that everyone should have. So the idea that everyone should have the gift of tongues, for example, is not true. And therefore, it must be the case that you can be baptized in the Holy, into the Holy Spirit, because I believe that is available for everyone. Um, it must be possible to be baptized into the Holy Spirit and yet not speak in tongues. I'm sure that's the case. Okay, well, let's uh, go on. We've looked at 1 Corinthians 13 before. We may have a, a brief um repeats of that, just a brief reminder of it, uh, we need to get into 1 Corinthians 14, which will show us um, exactly how um, the gifts are to be used in practice. Okay. Well, it's time to start winding this podcast up so we can have a normal length podcast. And if I can make podcasts at a normal length, maybe I'll be able to produce them a bit more frequently than I have been doing. As I'm recording this, it is Sunday, November the 6th, 2022. Next Sunday, then, is November the 13th, and that is Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day is always the closest Sunday to November the 11th being Armistice Day. It was on November the 11th at 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time in uh, uh, 1918 that the First World War officially came to an end and since the Second World War a Sunday has been given over for the remembrance of um, those who have died in the military service of the United Kingdom and Commonwealth countries and there is a festival of remembrance each year in which many patriotic songs are sung. Um, I'm going to play you a clip just to close of my favourite patriotic song that many people have said really ought to be the national anthem of Britain. Uh, set to the tune, uh, to a tune uh, taken out of a movement called Jupiter from Holst's uh, suite, orchestral suite, The Planets. Uh, the song is called I Vow to Be My Country. It's got two wonderful verses. The first verse is uh, of complete patriotism, talking about uh, the greatness of Great Britain and uh, um, vowing to, to serve uh, Britain. Uh, um, but the second verse talks uh, starts by saying there's another country. And so we... What I like particularly about this patriotic song is it compares our citizenship of the country we live in, and of course this song is particularly talking about Britain, with our citizenship of heaven, uh, because that is the other country 
Christ's country, Christ's kingdom, and our citizenship there is of greater importance than our patriotism. So it puts that patriotism into, uh, uh, is not opposing patriotism, we're saying yes, there are things that we vow to our country, and yes, there's an even higher calling, which is the calling of God, as uh, we seek to help extend that future country, the, uh, the Christ kingdom. Um, and that's why this is really one of my favorite songs. So um, let's just play this clip. This is from, I think it's 2013, so it's quite a while ago. You'll see, obviously, in the, as the camera pans around in this clip, you'll see um, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, still alive. And in fact, her husband there, Prince Philip, still alive too. Uh, so I think it is from 2013. Uh, the, when it pans to the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister shown is David Cameron, so it was obviously during his time as Prime Minister. So as I said, I think it's 2013, but this is a beautiful song. Uh, this seems to be one of the best renditions of it that I found from any of the Festival Remembrances. And stay with us to the end of that song, please, and then uh, into a little clip so you can see how you can support um, these podcasts that I do, because um, freedom of speech is not free, and I need your support, uh, uh, your prayer support, and your financial support. Thank you very much for being part of this podcast this week. Our second hymn is a patriotic anthem sung to the music of Gustav Holst.
remember, you can support me and these podcasts at subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor or paulftaylor.locals.com or paulftaylor.substack.com and you can visit proverbs1810.org for more information. God bless you.